the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The New Orleans Pelicans select Zion Williamson. What a triple penetration. So tough going to the goal. Welcome to In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Duop and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. Welcome to In The Know. This week's podcast is a special crossover edition with our friends at the NBA pod, Brian Toporek and Mort Jensen. They approached us with the idea this week, given the reports that the Pelicans are open for business when it comes to trade talks for Lonzo Ball and Jay-Z Redick, and even Bledsoe as well. The four of us discussed what the Pels may be looking for in a possible return for each player, along with the trade partners that may make the most sense. You can find Brian at B Toporek and Mort at MSJMBA on Twitter and their podcast at the NBA pod. Enjoy. So before we even get into the trade rumors themselves, guys, I mean, it, it really does sound like um, it's basically everyone but Brandon Ingram and Zion who's on the block at this point. But before we get there, I mean, the Pelicans right now are six and 10. They're 14th at the Western Conference. I think based on what I've seen from your timelines and kind of the reactions that you guys have been getting, it seems like Pelicans Twitter is in a pretty dark place. Um, what do you think, Shamit? I'll start with you. What has gone wrong? Like, what's the TLDR version of what's gone wrong with this team? Is it, was it a case of like outsized expectations coming in, knowing that you've lost Drew Holiday, you know, who is a fantastic player? Um, like, did Pelicans fans just think it's okay? Brandon's a year older, Lonzo's a year older, Zion's a year older, we're still going to be in the playoff mix. Um, or is there something like schematically wrong with this team? All of the above. Uh, the TLDR is the team stinks. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, you, you talk about expectations and it's funny because Mason and I, for the longest part, even before the season started, have been trying to temper expectations. You know, we're like, okay, well, you know, if things go right, this is probably a team that's going to be below 500 and, it's going to be competing in that play-in spot around the 10th seed that, 
you know, that was kind of where you outlined the expectations. Now, 14th is quite a bit away from the play-in, but it's also very early in the season. And they've had a particularly rough schedule so far trying to integrate new pieces in the starting lineup, a brand new system with, you know, Stan Van Gundy. So I don't think they're really too far off the pace uh, when it comes to will they will they be competing for that play-in uh, tournament? I think they can still get there. Um, so I, I really don't know where all these people got these expectations from. Uh, you're going to have to ask them. But I think the Pelicans could be better. Uh, their guard play in particular has been awful. Their bench play has been awful. Um, they're running basically seven, eight deep, maybe nine on a certain day. Um, and they're getting no productivity from, you know, people not named Steven Adams, Brandon Ingram, or Zion Williamson uh, on a consistent basis. You know, you might, you may have nights where Eric Bledsoe looks good or Lonzo looks good or whatnot, but you can't count on any of that. Right. Right. And Mason, I'll throw this to you. We'll get into each individual player shortly, but in general, what should the Pelicans be looking for? in return is there a certain position that they need to bolster should they be focused like should they not care about the playoffs this year should they be focused on getting more young guys more picks more prospects for the future or should they be trying to you know keep towing this line between well we can compete now but we're also focused on building long term around Zion yeah and so this is where the the, the balance I think you made you the point you made at the very end there around balancing near term versus long term is critical because you can look at the the roster and say oh well they clearly need to to do some more at the guard positions but at the same time one of the key focus areas for them is is Nikhil and Kyra getting those guys more minutes more meaningful minutes and 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 so far to their credit they've shown that they deserve more minutes whether or not they're you know Nikhil has been uh, a little inconsistent as he's gotten more minutes recently, but I think he just needs that defined role to see what you've gotten him. And then Kyra has been limited minutes, but it's looked really good. And so, the, um, you know, that that's one piece. And then on the other end at the five, you also got Jackson Hayes, who's similar situation. He's been, he's looked young, he's looked raw, but they've got to see what they have in him. And so you're left with uh, what Schmidt was talking about with how bad the bench has been, what they can really do to, to upgrade this roster in the near term while not, jeopardizing long-term development aspirations is probably something around that backup three, four position where Nico, Nico Melli has been terrible and he's not a guy who's going to be in the team's plans after the season, I would expect. And then even at the backup three behind Ingram, they've got Thornwell who they've only used really in a pinch and they're, they're using Josh Hart at backup three. And so really that's, I think where you can have a, maybe a low cost upgrade to the roster and, and help this team both be better now, as well as, allow other players who are younger get minutes to 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 hopefully meaningfully improve yeah I, I mean this is the thing i've been confused about you know from the reaction that again i've been seeing from your mentions more than anything else is that like you guys just went through the anthony davis saga where you know they they seem to prioritize the win now window for much of his tenure rather than have this long-term approach and david griffin has very clearly with that drew holiday trade very clearly building a long-term sustainable team around Zion. So this setback, it seemed expected to some extent. I mean, as Schmidt said, maybe not 14th in the West, but again, you're only a game and a half out of 10th right now. It's early. You know, this season is weird as we've seen with the heat. All it takes is like one COVID outbreak to knock out, you know, what we thought would be a contender. So 
I mean, knock on wood, everyone stays healthy from this point forward, but I think we know that's probably not going to be the case. And if the Pelicans dodge that bullet, they could move up just kind of by default. Um, so I'm just, I, I'm surprised by the reaction from the Pelicans fan base, but I guess, you know, the, the success last year probably raised expectations to an unrealistic degree. And then it just seems to me like subtracting Drew Holiday, of course, you're going to get worse. Drew, like you guys were the ones pumping him up to such a high extent for good reason. And then he leaves and it's like, Oh, well, we're not going to miss him that much. It's like, of course you are. He's really good. Well, Brian, I think what you need to do is, and, and you and Mort should create a, a burner that you guys share, right? And it only follows Pelicans-related people. And you do that for about a month. And you get the full experience of what Pelicans Twitter is. And uh, that includes the, the guests that the Pelicans Twitter uh, have assimilated from the Los Angeles <laughs> Lakers trade. <laughs> and um, yeah, just, just get that soak in that experience, lurk there a little bit, maybe interact with some people, fire off some tweets about Lonzo, see how that works. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, maybe you'll have a better picture of why these reactions are the way they are. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I had a situation there the other day. I, I, Mason was you know talking about the, the Pelicans, I don't remember specifically what the point was, but people were just crapping all over the team. And I came in and said, look, like you probably have 20 plus teams in the NBA that on a long-term basis would want to be in their shoes. And a, a bunch of Lakers fans were like, top 20. Like, are we just completely forgetting the, the future outlook here? Like, not only do you already have two major building blocks and your two primary stars in Sion and Brandon Ingram, both under the age of 24, no less. You also have a treasure trove of draft picks. You have a bunch of young players coming up. I, Kyra Lewis is going to be good. I have zero doubts. Nikhil Alexander-Walker's got some potential. Like you have so much going for you in the long term. Why is it that the Pelicans fan base is just so obsessed about the now, now, now? Like, even the best players in the league didn't really win when they were young. I, I just, I don't understand the disconnect here. It's a, it's built over time, right? I mean, you look at this team ever since really Chris Paul left and it's been so much of the same. And so I, I get from that perspective, I totally get where fans are coming from. They're frustrated. I mean, it's been the same story year, year after year. I mean, you had the, um, you know, this uh, a lot of potential with Anthony Davis and um, and you basically had one playoff series win to show for it. Um, I mean, even with Chris Paul, to a degree, they had a couple, they had a nice run of a couple of years, but like, I mean, for the majority of this franchise's history in new Orleans, it's just kind of been mediocrity. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, this team, I, I think you've got Griff and the front office that's and a lot of turnover over the past couple of years, even at the very top with Gail Benson taking over and they have a, I, I think the vision and, and the trajectory for this team is different than it was in the past, but at the same time, that doesn't, you, you can't just erase the prior history from people's minds. And so there is this, this frustration, I think to a degree. Yeah. It's All a right. bit of trauma, right? You know, you have <laughs> Zion, uh, you have Brandon Ingram. And so the expectation is you should be better, right? Whether or not those players have been as good as their names might suggest, you know, the expectation is you, you got to be better or, or you're wasting their time. You're wasting the, the fans' time with good players like that. And when they inevitably leave, because, you know, that's been the history here uh, with this franchise, then you're back to square one. So a lot of people feel like this 
selling the future. It's kind of like the Brian, you're familiar with this. Um, the pushback Hinky got right. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you're continually selling the future and people think it's some kind of Ponzi scheme and, and they want to see the results of the future in action. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let me tell you, it, it does pay off over time. And it, maybe in five years, Syed will be an MVP candidate like Joel Abid is this year. Or maybe Brandon Inkworm will be the better player. Ooh, there we that's spicy. Uh, all right, so let's go into the actual trade stuff now because Sham Sharania of The Athletic reported, I believe this was on Tuesday, um, that the Pelicans have been receiving calls about the availability of Lonzo Ball and J.J. Redick. And then Brian Windhorst of ESPN, I think it was the next day, said it isn't just those two guys. Eric Bledsoe has also been involved in trade talks. And in a lot of cases, it's the Pelicans making those calls. So let's start with Lonzo, because I think that's probably the biggest name of the three. And in terms of long-term appeal, you know, Redick is 36. He's in the tail end of his career. And Bledsoe is who he is at this point. Um, Lonzo, last year of his contract, he'll be a restricted free agent this summer. Mort, I know you have been eyeing a Lonzo for Lowry trade, so please pitch this to our Pelicans friends and see no, no, what they no. think. Don't don't frame it as as I as I've like framed it or angled it or anything. Like I just said that that could be something that was in the cards, right? Because the Bulls right now have just virtually no playmakers at the guard spot, and they have very little defense. And what are the two things that Lonzo does give you in some capacity? That's playmaking and it's defense. And in terms of Lowry, what does he do outside of scoring? Let's insert a sound of crickets right here because it's, <laughs> it's nothing. Um, and I just kind of figured both of them are restricted. Maybe that would be a good test for both of them just to get elsewhere and, and, and see what's up. Maybe the Bulls value Lowry much more and maybe the league values Lowry much more and, and that affects trade value. I have no idea what I'm, I'm basically saying it's an idea that could be out there if there are no other major deals going down or no better takers, then that deal should be there. Yeah. I mean, Mace, Schmidt, what do you guys think about, you know, marketing's fit with the Pelicans in particular. And if, if this was, if it was a deal around marketing for Lonzo, would you guys do that straight up? Would you want, Draft compensation, do you think you the Pelicans would have to send compensation to the Bulls? How do you see the values lining up there? Yeah, this is a fun one. Um, I, I don't know if we've discussed this on the pod specifically. We might have, uh, but we've definitely discussed it internally a lot and maybe even on Twitter a little bit. A bit before uh, the season, we discussed it, but I, I don't know if it's been a recent thing we've discussed. Right. Yeah. And so I think it's a good deal for both sides. I think both sides get a look at a restricted free agent uh, that's hasn't been a part of their team that gives them a different look, a different makeup uh, that may complement some of the existing pieces on each team a little bit better. As far as which side needs to add compensation, I, I feel like both sides would argue that you know they they should get the compensation. So it probably ends up being a one for one without any compensation trade. If it, if it does go down, that would be like that'd be the most uh, amenable to both sides. But you know, I I, I think Lowry would be an intriguing fit mainly because he can shoot the ball, which is a skill the Pelicans lack in many positions. And um, he would probably be a bench uh, big that might close games that 
uh, depending on the matchup, but I would be willing to try a jumbo lineup where you have Adams, you have Laurie, you have Zion and you have Ingram at the two. And then, you know, whoever your guard, your starting guard is next to there. That's, that's an interesting configuration. The Pelicans defense sucks, right? So <laughs> I'm, I am all about trying to get weird and, you know, Lowry being not an impactful defender, I don't think drastically changes the defensive makeup of the team anyway. Um, so, you know, might as well get weird on the offensive end and, and do cool things. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. Cause that's what this came up on our pod. I think recently as well, when we were talking about just the Pelicans overall struggles and it, it my hesitation was like, well, where does marketing fit? Cause he, you know, are you going to, I think he's best at the four and more correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, he's only a four, which is part of the problem. Yeah. So then, you know, put him next to Zion and then are you sliding Zion down a position? I guess you could have a weird inverted lineup where Zion plays the five and marketed plays the four, uh, at least offensively. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it would be a, it's hard to envision, I, I would say how this would all come together, but I think you're, you're right. Shemit. It would be super weird and interesting and, you know, kind of, YOLO. If you don't think Lonzo is a part of your future, you might as well flip him for someone who you get a couple months with to see if he could be. Right. Yeah. And I, I think another, so this kind of reminds me a little bit and, and more, you'll have to, 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 to check me on this, but I remember back when AD and Ryan Anderson played together and they did because we all, it's well documented at this point that AD doesn't really love playing defending the five. Uh, Ryan Anderson did that a decent amount for the Pelicans and uh, did a held his own. Uh, I'll say that. I, I I don't think he got just totally demolished. He didn't do a good job, but it was somewhere in the middle. Um, but I don't know. Um, you, you've watched Laurie maybe a little bit more than than we have, and I, I'm not sure how how feasible that would be in their case, or if you think maybe like in a couple of years you could get there. But I think that's something that they would probably try in a situation like that. Yeah, I mean, so he hasn't really verbally said anything about which position he would want to play. And I, I will say that Bill Donovan has tried Laurie out at center. But defensively, he's just not an asset, whether that's fours or fives. I personally would put him on fives because he's just not that mobile against you know new age fours, which is basically you know the traditional small forward of five years ago. So if you are putting him up against guys like Mitchell Robinson and that, you know, that ilk, yeah, sure. Like he can probably stop a rim runner. But if you throw something at him that it has just an ounce of complexity to, to him, like he's not going to stop it. So it's, it's really a moot point in that regard. Uh, he, he is very limited. He doesn't really understand how to use his size, despite being, you know, seven foot two forty. He, he just, he, I think Ricky O'Donnell actually said it best when he was drafted. This is a seven foot shooting guard, like both statistically and playing style wise. That's what he is. Um, and Which is does. perfect because that's what Lonzo is. <laughs> he's not seven foot, but he's a shooting guy. Right. I mean, right. no, but like you, you look at their shot profile and it's it's pretty similar. I mean, Lowry's more talented offensively and, and I'll give him that. You can use him in a little bit more, a variety of ways, but you know, you look at their three-point attempt rate, right? Lowry's taking about 6.9 per game. Yep. Lonzo's taking about 7.2 per game. It's nearly identical. So if the Pelicans are, you know, going to make a one-for-one swap, and you give Lowry the same looks that Lonzo has been getting, you're probably going to end up with a better result. And, you know, as well as you're, you're going to be able to use him in a little more versatile ways, he's going to give you more points. But if you give you 
Lowry the same quality of looks that Lonzo has been getting. I have no doubt he shoots better than Lonzo Ball. That is great. Not a super high bar when he's shooting 30.1% from three right now. <laughs> but Larry's what, 38%, 37 point something? Yeah, about around 38, 37.7 right now, which is, is actually his career high. And that's one of the things as well, which is on this podcast, I've, I've been pretty down on, on, on Lowry. And it, part of it is he was billed as this you know, elite shooter coming in. Like that was his go-to thing. But over the course of his career, he's been dreadfully average. Like he's at no point has he had a, a, a you know, a 40% shooting season or anything of that sort, even on high volume. So even that supposedly go-to skill is not something he's demonstrated, which I think is why he didn't get the extension in in big part of that was just, you know, what is his ceiling? And with Lonzo, we're beginning to see what the the ceiling can be, also what the floor can be. So I agree with you, Shemit, that in terms of making that one-for-one trade, the Pelicans do get a little bit more upside, especially offensively, but ultimately could iron out pretty evenly. I think I think the one thing that um, is helpful for New Orleans from Markinen's perspective is not just the so as you said more spot on. I mean he's been above average is probably how I would describe his three point shooting, but certainly not dangerous. But he's up to eight per thirty six this year, and that's something that the Pelicans desperately need. They don't have guys who will fire away and be competent. Um, so it's like Lonzo Ball is the one guy who just chucks and chucks, and last year that worked out. This year it has not, and so. Um, his uh, Laurie's willingness to shoot the ball um, uh, uh, combined with being a good, at least a good three point shooter um, should be enough to, to help with the spacing issue. We've talked so much about because like, as you need both to be able to do it at a high rate and frequently to, to really draw defenders. Right. And so that, I mean, if he can get a little bit better in terms of his percentages, it wouldn't take much to, to really make him a threat that teams have to care about. And I, you know, to, to add to that, you know, it's sometimes it's the idea of this guy as a shooter. Whereas I think defenses, no matter what Lonzo is going to be shooting from the, from the floor are, are probably not going to give him the same amount of respect that Lowry might get um, as, as a shooting threat. You know, even if Lowry isn't lights out and even if he isn't an above average uh, or like a, an amazingly high gravity person, I feel like there's going to be a distinct difference in the way they treat Lowry and the, and the way they treat uh, Lonzo in, yeah. in that regard. And and secondly, what makes it intriguing from the Pelican side, which we didn't really touch on is the fact that it opens up minutes for, for Kyra and Nikhil Alexander Walker. And two, it gives you um, an okay to decent option uh, to put, in the starting lineup if Zion goes down, right? If Zion ever has an ankle injury or a minor injury and he's out for a couple of weeks or let's say even longer than that, right? You, they, they have no competent forwards that they can slide in to that starting spot and live with the results where I feel like, you know, like you said, Larry isn't a world beater, but he's not going to tank your team as much as, you know, last year we were playing Kenrich Williams or, you know, this year it'd be like Nicole O'Malley, or maybe you just slide BI to the four and you're ultra small. Like it, it doesn't pose the same lineup problems if, if Zion goes down and then the Pelicans need, have been needing a viable backup there. So I guess this is a question for both, uh, both of you guys. What do you think is going on with Lonzo this year? Because I feel like last year he really did kind of seem to take a step forward and, I mean, if you look at his production this year, it's clear he's kind of regressed um, both as a shooter, but then also just in general. 
Uh, is it just a questionable fit with him and Bledsoe versus him and Holiday, or do you think you know this is just kind of who he is as a player, and last year is more of the outlier rather than this year? I mean, it's it's hard to make a case against the fact that last year was the outlier at this point. Um, but then again, he's still a young player improving every year, so who who, who knows? But yeah, I I really think it's it stylistically hasn't done him any favors. I mean, there's no it's no secret that Lonzo thrives in transition and struggles in half court, and this team last year was was creating more transition opportunities. Um, and, and also I think it's, um, the, the one thing I kind of question is the, the fit with Bledsoe versus Drew. I feel like, I feel like Bledsoe and Drew are similar in a lot of ways, except Drew's right. better. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, like, I, I think that some of the things they do well and, and not uh, are, are similar, but just like Drew's better at most of those things, if not all of them. Um, and so I, I question the, the fit, uh, you know, if you're going to question one fit, you're going to question both of them, in my opinion. Um, I'm but, pushing but, yeah, back I mean, on that. I, I just feel like. Yeah, really. Yeah, no, okay. I think I think people really underrate the opportunities Drew opened up for the whole lineup last year. Uh, I think he made Ingram better. I think he made Zion better. I think he made Lonzo better. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about how Lonzo, as a playmaker, functions at his best when the defense is already tilted, right? When someone's creating that tilt, and I think Drew is just leaps ahead of of Bledsoe at tilting the defense. You know, like Bledsoe can apply. <laughs> good rim pressure right um he's, he's been a prolific driver over his career he isn't the playmaker that drew is he just isn't he doesn't see those windows he doesn't create those opportunities that drew can create he isn't the scorer uh drew is in my opinion um at all three levels right um drew tilts defenses in a way that allowed lonzo to thrive and make those extra passes and attack you know uneven closeouts or uh find those little cracks in the defense um and, and a lot of that stuff has been missing in the half court where it's been Brandon Ingram trying to replicate what Drew was doing. It's been, and it's been Bledsoe kind of throwing himself at the rim. It's, it's not been the same. And, and I think that throws Lonzo off, off his game. Uh, I think he would thrive much better uh, or at, thrive at a higher level with quality guards and, and Bledsoe's fine. I don't consider him anywhere near the quality of Drew. So you're saying Zach Levine would actually be an asset if Lonzo made it to Chicago? Yeah, I think I think that fit would work really well because you know Levine, as as much as he's taken a leap as a playmaker this year, he's probably not interested in um, spending the whole game getting his teammates involved. Whereas Lonzo is probably happy to do that the whole game, right? And and if Lonzo's playing off the attention that Levine generates at at every level because Levine's a prolific scorer you know he can score pretty much anywhere on the floor if he's playing off the tension that Levine generates there's probably going to be much better results on for the Bulls offense than you know the Pelicans are kind of reaping right now in their half-court offense right as long as of course that Lonzo is passing the ball when he's outside the three-point line because as soon as he gets inside of that his passes are just very off it seems yeah you want to you definitely again if if he's if it's in the paint right if it's inside the arc you want him attacking a closeout on the move and where the defense is just you know in the middle of a rotation and, and they don't know where to go right he'll what he'll he, what he's really really good at is you know taking those couple steps into the lane and finding that cutter finding that pocket finding that opening but you know the, the more steps he takes into that lane the higher chance that you have of a turnover. So 
I want to, I have one potential Lonzo trade idea slash destination, but before I throw that one out there, have Mason Schmidt, have you guys identified any other teams, potential fits and you know, what you would want back from those teams for a Lonzo centric trade? Uh, I don't have any specific targets just because I think at this point, <laughs> Shavit and I both are just like, get him, get him out <laughs> for something that's not negative value and, and let Kyra and, and Nikhil play. <laughs> like that's, I think, I think that's kind of it. Um, and so I, I think, I, I think Griff's playing hardball right now as he usually does and, 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 and trying to maximize value, but I, I ultimately don't see him holding a, a too high of a bar for, for this trade, just because, you want to be able to, to, to get more, more guys playing time who you really want to see. Shemit, do you have anyone? I mean, I don't know. There's, there's teams that could definitely use him, right? I've been trying to push the Hawks for a while. Right. Uh, I, you know, their backup point guard situation isn't fantastic. Rondo is Rondo and Dunn has been hurt forever. Um, you know, they're, they're playing Brandon Goodwin a good chunk of minutes, which is kind of crazy. Uh, I do feel like they have a log jam at the wing, and, and maybe there's a, a swap there that's beneficial to both parties. I think with, with the way Atlanta's structured is they do have a lot of mouths to feed and uh, as, as great of a playmaker as Trey is, he's not always interested um, in uh, putting others before him. And so again, it's just one of those things where Lonzo would probably be happy to do that uh, in playing off a guy like Trey. I think they would work really well. Um, so Atlanta would be interesting. I have no idea if they would have any interest in adding another restricted free agent uh, along with John Collins, who is maybe do the max. Uh, so that's, that's something to watch for. Uh, I think, you know, uh, he would clearly help. I, I think teams like Brooklyn uh, who, who need some backup guard play and some defense, right. Some positional versatility. He would probably help the Clippers. Though I'm not so sure because they have like the best half court offense in the league and, I don't know if adding Lonzo to the best half court offense in the league would make it any better. Um, so that, that's a questionable fit. The Knicks, you know, uh, they do weird things. So I can't always rule them out, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, specific destinations are, are hard to find. Yeah. So the nets, yeah. How, do we have enough ink for the old newspaper headlines over the next year? If he lands there. <laughs> hey man papers are dying we don't need ink anymore <laughs> yeah that's true. That's, that's I, true i was trying to come up with something that that's where english being my second language failed me drastically <laughs> no but seriously that would be my god i could just see all the drama unfolding i'm in i want that to happen actively now that that needs to happen i want all the drama that's some of it well the knicks were the team that came to mind for me just because they've had such i mean you know alfred payton is fine but whatever Knicks um, fans hate him for some like they I, or at least what I've seen just because they think that he's getting minutes that other players should get and they're just like very very anti Alfred Payton. He's 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 a selfish assister. <laughs> he is and and you know I think a lot of people hate that because one he's taking touches away from guys like R.J. Barrett and and Alfred Payton who like I don't really know why Alfred Payton needs that many touches. Let's be real here. I mean not Alfred Payton. Um, sorry. Uh, why am I blank? Frank, Frank Nilakina. Oh, um, sorry. Yeah. He's taking away from touches from Frank. You know, why, why does he need touches that I don't know? Um, but you know, they, they feel like, you know, Alfred Payton's just kind of run around the court trying to ball hog and 
pad his assist numbers. And if, if you look at Peyton's career, there's always those like stretches in March where he just like comes down with a bunch of triple doubles, but it's like, okay, well, is he making the team better? I'm, I'm not so sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how he fits into the Knicks long-term equation here, or if he does. Um, I mean, this is a admittedly underwhelming return, so probably such that the Knicks would have to include some sort of draft compensation as well. But Kevin Knox at least fills that three, four void. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the thing is like, you know, if it's like, it's like a straight Knox for Lonzo trade um, and let's assume there's like a second round pick involved in their summer. Right. Because yeah. Knox, Knox is awful. Right. Um, if, if something like that goes down again, the main benefit the Pelicans are getting is, is the minutes for the younger guards. The added benefit they're getting is, they get a little bit of breathing room under the tax. The Knicks, if they wanted to, they can take Lonzo outright and they have enough cap space to do that. Yep. They don't even have to send a player. They can just send picks. Um, and, you know, if the Pelicans do any kind of trade where they, they're sending out more money than they're getting back, it really helps them because they're about 500000 from the luxury tax. And that that has prevented them from signing more depth and that has prevented – that prevents them from making more creative trades where they send out less salary than they get in return. Yeah. It looks like, I mean, Lonzo is making 11 million flat this year. If I'm seeing it right on basketball insiders, Knox is at 4.6 million. So they'd save, you know, 6 million and change. And then Which is great. You know, yeah. they have their full MLE to use if they wanted, they haven't touched it. There you go. And at the Knicks owe their second round pick to the Sixers this year, but they have seconds coming from Charlotte, which whatever, but Detroit, which is looking like it's probably going to be pretty high in the second round. So, you know, that is something I, I think that second rounder from Detroit is an actual asset that they can, they could dangle. And I mean, Knox to his credit is shooting 39.1 from three this year on relatively low volume, but that's just only credit. <laughs> hey if the pelicans need shooting they need a guy who can fill in at the three and the four and just like suck up 15 minutes i'm so not I'm saying, kevin... saying we went from laurie marketin to kevin knox in a very short <laughs> period of time and i Scary just want hours. the records to the reflect true. that i am not comparing laurie marketing to kevin knox <laughs> i am down on laurie but bulls fans don't come at me that was all on brian i am not a part of that one I said the Knicks would have to include comp- additional compensation. I'm not saying it's a one-for-one one trade, but that that's the one that came to mind immediately for me. Cause I, I was trying to think like, which, okay, of course a contender could just use depth, but like most of these contenders have traded away pretty much everything they can at this point. Um, so otherwise I'm thinking rebuilding teams and like Washington, I guess if they're going to trade Bradley Beal, you might as well take a flyer on Lonzo, but Alonzo Westbrook backcourt, just sounds like and I, I guess i would hate watch it but it's an abomination um the pistons are in at talent accumulation mode but i don't think they're at a place where they want to be acquiring you know soon to be restricted free agents where they have to like make a decision on these guys right away 
The Wizards uh, situation would be hilarious to me if if Thomas Bryant was still healthy because you could have a situation where as you get bigger, your shooters get better. <laughs> with, with with Bertans and with Bryant in the middle versus Russ and Milonzo, like that, that'd be some wild shit. They might, yeah, they might not have spacing problems. You know, given the, <laughs> we've never really seen that construction, right? Two awful shooters and then two great shooters at the at the big spot. The Sixers oh. tried it last year. Wait, I think we might have it. If, if we're sticking with the Washington Wizards theme, Troy Brown Jr. Going back to New Orleans? Yeah. You just you just watch Troy Brown Jr. freed. I, yeah. I mean, why, I don't see why the Wizards would do it, but yes. Right. <laughs> yes, let's let's do that. No, I mean, you're 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 you've hit my hot button, which is Bradley Beal. Mm-hmm. And and if we start talking about Beal, we may not have time to talk about anything else. <laughs> We we could revisit Beal at the end if we have time. But yeah, I, I, the only other team that came to mind was the Thunder, just because they're still, you know, so early into this rebuild. But again, I think if they've got a surprisingly good thing going, I guess they could send back Trevor Ariza, who's just in mothballs right now. But I would think the Pelicans would want something, you know. A, again, not that they're going to get necessarily a ton for Lonzo, but Trevor Ariza does not fit into the long term picture at all. So with the Thunder be willing to include a pick with him for Lonzo? Probably not, just because they would have to commit so much money to him this summer. So it's it's tough to find a a situation that works for you know both parties. But I, my money Preston is on the giving Knicks. up a pick for the Thunder. Yeah, Sam Preston giving up a pick. I don't yeah, know. yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, it's hoarding. Yeah. He he knows that the 2025 draft is just going to be New Orleans and OKC going back and forth that he wants to have one more pick. Uh, all right, so let's go to J.J. Redick now. He's the other guy that Shams mentioned in this report. And Redick, you know, for a guy who has been a sharpshooter for really his entire career, what the hell is going on with him this year? He's shooting 29.8% from three, 33.6 overall. He shot really well last year. This is not like a, you know, it, it's not like he just did not fit in New Orleans. He shot 45.3 from three last year. So again, is it like just this backcourt is so weird that it's not working and it's trickling down to the rest of the team? Or is he just in the, you know, it's still pretty small sample size, 16 games. Is he just in a slump to start the season? I'm, it's, I, I think that he hasn't gotten a ton of great looks. Uh, I think he got better looks last season. Um, but at the same time, it's clearly a slump. Uh, I, I don't I don't suddenly think he hit an aging wall. And, like, his defense has been going downhill with his age for a while. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, I, I don't think suddenly his shooting is taking a, a massive hit like this. I think there's some – I think it's just some some small sample size noise and, 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 and a slump. But, um, you know, certainly not doing the Pels any favors. Uh, I, I think having him as – his basically what he usually does shooting the ball would have given the Pels at least one or one went more win the season, if not two. Um, and so it's, you know, the turning from that perspective and you just hope that teams are, are looking the other way and, and thinking the same thing. Like this guy's got too much of a track record shooting the ball to, to think that, you know, this is, th- this is who he is now. So um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very, I, I think there's some wide variations on what people think, the return might be for him. Um, I, I, I'm more on the negative side uh, than, than others. I, when I hear like protected first for, for JJ Redick, I, I, I would take that and just run real fast if someone's going to give that to me just because I, I just don't see, 
I don't see JJ Reddick's role for a, for a contending team. Like even in the playoffs, like you can, you can try to convince me he's going to play 10 to 15 minutes off the bench as a shooter. But even so, like, I just think later in the, in the playoffs, his defense is so bad that he's not playable. So I don't know really what the value is in adding him. Um, maybe you've got, I think it's Mikey, maybe your second tier contenders can talk themselves into giving up something for him. But even then, if it's, if it's got a first round pick, uh, like even like a late first round pick 20 to 30 i'd still take that happily yeah i I feel like the salary matching is going to be the tricky part for any contender because most of these teams now are so either so top heavy that they you know just don't have those mid-tier salaries to give up for him or it's you know it's a team like denver that would be giving up i guess they could give up will barton but i don't see why they do that you know gary harris paul Millsap, they're not doing that I Phoenix came to mind immediately, but they just don't have that type of salary to give up either. Yeah, um, I mean, Phoenix has links and Galloway and each one more. They, they don't need JJ Reddick. They they've got that kind of shooting small, small guard shooting in spades. If, if they really needed it. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit higher on JJ than, than Mason is. Um, I, you know, I, I think he can still be a, a useful player, not maybe a quality, but a useful player for most teams in, in the league. Uh, it is, I do believe it is a function of the, the Pelicans poor guard play and the lack of uh, high level creators on the team that's hurting JJ. I, I do believe in that trickle down effect. And yeah, you're right. It is, it is a bit of a slump, but I think given that he's an expiring, there's probably teams out there that can talk themselves into him for a couple seconds um, pretty easily. Yeah. More, do you have any ideas as to, which teams make sense for him and, you know, which teams have the, the combination of that type of salary plus asset to give up for him. I think it's difficult because at the end of the day, as is mentioned, 36 years old, right. And on an expiring contract. So you, you're looking at it as a one year push all chips in to win the ring. And, and while at the same time, hoping he, he bounces back after a slow start. So like what team really needs that it has to be someone really high up and like you said earlier like most of those teams have already given up most of their assets and that's in large part why they're up there like at the top of the league so who have those you know who has those contracts available and and the additional draft picks or whatever you want to give up I don't see who that could be. And I don't think we're going to end in a situation where JJ hits the mild market, right? That would seem pretty unrealistic, I think. Well, I was going to, I was going to bring that up because I, I, I do see a situation where the Pelicans trade him to a team and take on longer term salary in exchange for that asset that they're committing. Right. Mm. So like, you know, if there's, there's a bigger contract out there that a team is happy to get rid of and they're attaching assets to do it, um, you know, that's where that protected first might come in. And the unspoken agreement with the receiving team is you just buy out JJ when you get him because you're, you're just simply trading him for that salary dump. And, and, you know, you don't necessarily need him on the court. So you buy him out and, you know, he gets to go back home in Brooklyn. Cause I think he misses his wife and kids a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Now I, I think that would be the right course of action, honestly. Um, I, I, I honestly, I think we're going to see that as a lot this year as well. This is a, a little bit of a, a side note here, but if you look at the 2021 free agency class, which has just diminished month by month uh, over the past couple of months, like it's it's really looking like a weak class now. So I have to assume that a lot of teams are probably looking to punt on that offseason and taking on longer term money in hopes of 
of extracting an assets. So if the Pelicans could be first movers on that, that would probably be a good thing. But I don't, because I don't imagine those deals will be available later on. Yeah. So the the team that came to mind that I've searched through pretty much every contender and trying to find the salaries that work, Dallas feels like the one that might work the best. They do have James Johnson at $16 million on an expiring deal, so he'd fill that 3-4 void for you guys and and I just put another shooter next to Luca and you know hope he can snap out of the slump and kind of replicate what Seth Curry did for them last year. Would would you guys have interest in like James Johnson in a second for JJ? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I think that that trade in a vacuum puts us in the tax. Again, the the Pelicans are in a a, a bad situation. Just add, where... Bruns, add Brunson and and give up Melly. Yeah, there you go. Mace has been trying to get Jalen Brunson on this team forever, <laughs> and, and I'm just like, dude. That... He's my backup point guard dream like, right there. It's it's turning into to standum and uh pretty pretty soon Mason's going to be attacking like, you know, the Dallas Mavericks bloggers and <laughs> letting them know that Carlisle sucks and, you know, it, it's me and Villanova fans yeah, I think at this point. You know, Luca needs to share the ball more with the <laughs> with Jalen Brunson. Oh boy. Is is Melly for free? Like I'll take him if he's free. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> really, take him. Yep. There I, is the Pelicans would get much more value with with saving on those like four million dollars that he's owed than than yep. anything else. Take him. I, he's a he's a floor spacing four who can't space the floor. His career three point shooting numbers in the NBA, which granted, not that I mean it's only a season and change at this point, but still, he just never he hasn't shot the ball well consistently. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't know, he doesn't have he much just, value. He just passes up shots. I don't I don't know what it is, man. And and you know, again, maybe he goes to a team with like Luca or um, you know, a Ben Simmons or someone that can actually create shots for him and and he looks amazing. You know, maybe that's all it needs is is that kind of shot creation, but it's just, I don't care to find out on this team. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, like the Sixers have a trade exception. It, I, you know, I think it's around $8 million. So if, if they, the Pelicans are literally just giving away, like I would happily trade a top 55 protected or maybe not. Cause the Sixers Honestly, might done. actually give that up. No, I mean, like, as long as uh, they don't need it for salary matching purposes. Yeah. I mean, like that, like, like Schmidt said, he's exactly right. Like the 4 million under the tax that that would, the Pelicans could save with, with that move is more than worth it. Interesting. All right. I'll I'll keep him in mind for a trade target article to come out later toward the closer to the deadline. Um, Of course you could wrangle the Sixers into this. Well, I, I, I'm just prying for potential targets. Uh, Yeah. But I'm looking around for the, I, the only other team, like the Spurs have a ton of expirings and Rudy Gay and Patty Mills are right in line with what Redick is earning. But I, I mean, I think the Pelicans would have to give up assets for either of those guys in a Redick deal. And I just don't, I don't see why the Spurs would want to do that anyway. So the Spurs yeah. also just don't like trading within guys, like guys within their division. Um, yeah. I cannot, Mason, do you remember the last time the Pelicans and Spurs had a transaction? Even going oh. back to the Hornets. The closest thing I can think of is how Quincy Pondexter ended up there. <laughs> and that wasn't a trade. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, like a bunch of former Pels, you know, like Pondexter ended up there. Bellinelli ended up there. Um, I think there's been, there's a couple more, but yeah, they, they, uh, it's just not, I think, didn't Dante Cunningham end up there? Yeah, um, 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah, but he yeah, did. but yeah, there's no, there hasn't been a transaction. So I just, you know, maybe in my lifetime I'll see one. <laughs> maybe if Kelly Oubre can't buy a bucket for the next month, the Warriors give up on him. Do that. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Probably, probably not. Yeah, Reddick's <laughs> gonna be. I think a lot of teams are gonna hold out hope more, as you were saying. Good. I, I think, I think Reddick ends up home. That is my prediction with him. One way or another, he ends up back in the Northeast, whether it's it's on Brooklyn uh, or Philly. Um, I'll even throw the Knicks in there. You know, I, I think Reddick ends up home one way or another. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the Nets could just trade Dinwiddie's contract, assuming he's not going to opt in next year. Uh, they should give us Joe Harris. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a fair trade. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've actually been throwing around uh trying to speak this into existence uh josh hart and jj reddick for joe harris and you know there's there's been like nets writers are like i don't hate it and i'm like if you don't hate it just just let's just do it (laughs) call it it. it's official (laughs) call it in (laughs) uh all right so let's go to bledsoe now because he before we do before okay yeah yeah. i I just won't because i'm otherwise going to forget this since we actually have the luxury of, of not speaking to not just one but two pelicans guys here uh nashi marshall you know 23 years old on your roster small forward watch him make savior a ton is there any chance that he could get more minutes or is he just not in the future he's a two-way player um he's you know i will say this he's been getting more minutes than wenyan gabriel uh when it comes to garbage time closing games which is surprising you know the excuse with gabriel has been like he doesn't you know he hasn't practiced because he's been hurt but Right. You know, he's he's healthy now and in garbage time, Marshall's still getting those minutes. <laughs> so um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I have no clue what to make of uh, of him as a two way player. He's an intriguing prospect. I I hope I would have hoped he would have ended up in the G League bubble. But given how um, COVID has presented a lot of teams with depth issues, I can right. see why the you know Pelicans would want to hold on to each and every healthy body. Yeah, no, it's, it's because I, I just watched him quite a lot at, at Savior, and I, I like the, like the defense and the playmaking. Like he seems like he's one of those guys. If he had a reliable three point shot, you would you would talk about him as being a first round pick, like but Kendrick Williams. Had, yeah. So, it, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I don't know. I just when I look when I watch the Pelicans, I could just see sometimes the need of having like a multi purpose wing, even if he's not necessarily the greatest shooter ever. Um, yeah, I, I, like that's always my biggest takeaway when I watch the Pels. Like, there's just that need of, of, of a defensive-oriented wing who can play make. Yeah, I Mort, agree. Mort, we both just slipped into a bit. You ask about a 16th man, and I'm trying to pillage a 13th man for the Sixers. That's good. <laughs> well, that is certainly us. That's yeah. right. All right. Well, I, I just wanted to ask since I I finally had uh, the two primary Pels fans. In <laughs> And, and I guess I, one other team that just came to mind for Reddick actually is Boston because they just have that giant trade exception. That would be peak Danny Ainge to like have this like huge trade <laughs> exception that they're planning on using in this big way <laughs> and then just use it for like 12 or $13 million. <laughs> yeah, just go for an aging white dude. Oh, Boston will love that. Yeah, fan favorite. <laughs> oh, boy. 
Okay, so now let's go into Bledsoe, who Windhorst says is also up for grabs. He is owed 16.9 this year, 18.1 next year, and then 19.4, partially not guaranteed, I'm guessing. Yeah, only 3.9 is guaranteed uh, in the 22-23 season. So not expiring like Redick, not a restricted free agent like Lonzo. If if you're taking him, uh, you're taking him. For the long haul, um, May Schmidt, have have uh, you guys thought about any potential Bledsoe destinations that are particularly appealing? I I've thought less about Bledsoe than the other guys, just because I feel like um, my personal opinion is he'll have more value mm-hmm. in the offseason uh, as because then, like you said, he'll be he'll be an expiring plus. It's like that four million dollars or so in the in the, in the you know, the year after that you can just kind of wave and take the hit or stretch that, whatever you want to do. But um, yeah, so like, I, I think the Pelicans will end up, if I had to guess two guards are going to move, it's definitely JJ and Lonzo before Bledsoe. Mm-hmm. That, but but uh, clearly they're also dangling Bledsoe out there. If there's a, I mean, he, he should help a team. If that's, if, they're, if you're trying to make the playoffs or if you, you know, you're trying to improve your, your rotation. I mean, I, I feel like, is he going to be a starting guard for a really good team? Probably not. But you could certainly do worse as a third guard than than Eric. He Bledsoe. was a starting guard for a team that was on pace for seventy wins. Well, yeah, and had that work out in the playoffs for him. <laughs> Whatever, <laughs> man. That's, that's a really good team. <laughs> he was coming off injury and all that. I mean, they they have they, they have playoff problems. I'll, I'll give yeah, you that. That's but what like, I meant. He can be a starting guard on a good team. Yeah, I, uh, a good a good team. Uh, I I was I was like, are you if you're talking about like legit contenders? Yeah, probably not. But um, but yeah, I mean, I I think he's certainly a guy who can help. Just depends on how much you are weighing the long term salary commitments, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the one team that came to mind immediately for me was the Clippers, just because you know Kawhi had that reported request to get a point guard in the off season, and they didn't actually do so. I think the salary that lines up. You know, assuming the Clippers don't want to send Beverly back and assuming the Pelicans don't want him to free up minutes for these younger guards, the salary that lines up the most is Marcus Morris, who just signed the four-year $64 million deal this offseason. Uh, his brother... Of interest? <laughs> there's already been enough issues with his brother in the Pelicans where they basically faked an injury to get him off the team. <laughs> Do you remember that, Shavit? Yep, it was so silly. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Clippers are one of those teams that are even worse than the Pelicans with the tax thing. Cause they're hard capped mm. and, and they are like, you know, like a couple dollars from the hard cap. So like mm-hmm. they, their salary needs to match exactly. Uh, or it needs to be less. So like, they're just a difficult team to construct trades with in, in general. So I, you know, it'd be, it'd be cool to get them on the Clippers. I think, I just I can't find again. I, I always go back to the Knicks when I when I come when I think of teams that might need point guards and that do dumb things. Um, <laughs> and so you know the Knicks are would be with the destination. Maybe Tibbs you know like wants a defensive minded point guard in there, and and you know he is better than Alfred Payton con- considerably. But Mason is right that he'll have more value as salary bait in a bigger trade going forward. Yeah, so the, the Pels may not be in a huge hurry to move him because of that. Uh, well, I mean, well, the one thing I, I will say is that, and, and I disagreed with Mason here, is like I think if they get any value for him, period, they will move him. Like, you know, if they're getting second-round picks, if they're getting, you know, anything that's positive and they're not taking back significantly more salary, 
they will move him. Even if, you know, if they got a first and they took back more salary, which I don't know if there's like terrible contracts out there really um, outside of like Eric Gordon, which I don't think they'll take Eric Gordon, but you know um, if they're, if they're getting back assets, they would move him. And that's my opinion. I I just, I I worry if they, if going too far in that direction, like, like what, if they trade JJ Lonzo and Bledsoe, I mean, at some point, you've got to show respect here at the rest of your team and say, we're not totally mailing in the season. Cause I feel like if they did that, you, you need somebody who can support Nikhil and, and Kyra. And maybe you're not suggesting that, but I just, I, I worry about going too far on just well, they're going to get guards. people back in return, you know? Um, and they're probably going to be similar level players. And by similar, I mean, between, you know, a top 100 and top 250 player, uh, in, in that same range in the sense they're not needle movers themselves, but they're not garbage. Uh, and, and so they're going to get back those players and, you know, get, if they are able to free up some cap space, they'll also be able to sign some players uh, because they have that full MLE and they, they have, I think they have their biannual exception. I could be wrong though, but you know, they have, they have money to, to go get people if they want it. So I'm not, I just, I'm not worried about that in any sense. Yeah, uh, man, it, it is hard to find. <laughs> uh, the Knicks are a good call. Uh, the Magic, I was thinking just because, you know, they with the Fultz injury, but I don't think they'd want to clog up that backcourt moving forward unless they acquire Bledsoe with the mindset of, we'll play him this year, we'll relieve some of this playmaking duty on Cole Anthony, and then we'll try to turn around and flip him in the offseason for some value. Uh, You've brought they, up Bledsoe to Orlando for like three years now. <laughs> well, they've needed a point guard for that long, yeah. And I, they have, you know, Fournier's an expiring at 17.2. I pray to God they wouldn't give up Eric, Aaron Gordon for Eric Bledsoe, but if they were willing to do so, the Pelicans should, like, get break league rules and get the NBA on a, on a call over the weekend just to make sure that trade goes through ASAP. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, they'd probably have to include a couple picks, if not more, to make that happen. Because didn't didn't Orlando turn down the the same offer that Portland basically gave Houston for Covington, which is I think a couple picks or something like that? Um, they Portland I think initially went after Aaron Gordon, and Orlando was like, no thanks. Which I, you know, to some extent I get with the uh, with the Jonathan Isaac injury. I think they probably would have been a little more willing to move Gordon with had Isaac not gotten hurt, but unfortunately they, you know, they're trying to just kind of gut it out this season and the fault injury only made it worse in that regard. More. Is there any bulls deal that like maybe Bledsoe for Thad young? I mean, so as it is right now, Thad is thoroughly outplaying Lori Markinen. So <laughs> his value is uh, is actually coming up. He was just completely misused last year under Jim Boylan. Surprise, surprise. Uh, he, you could actually make the argument that that right now is the best passer on the Bulls. So I don't think they want to get off of that unless they get something uh, in return that really fills a need. And I wonder if Bledsoe being the type of player that he is, is the type of guard that they're looking for when they already have you know, downhill players in, in, in Kobe White and Zach Levine. But on the surface of it, I don't think it's 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 bad value. It's just a question of fit. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you guys, you know, there, here's a conspiracy theory. Lonzo Ball plus Eric Bledsoe lines up almost exactly with Bradley Beal's salary. It's within <laughs> 100,000 of each other. And um, yeah, I am convinced that David Griffin kept Bledsoe for this reason. And we're going to see uh, Lonzo Ball for Bleds- and Bledsoe plus 3 billion picks for Bradley Beal. It's going to happen. <laughs> Lonzo, Bledsoe, and Westbrook is like, if you could make a team in NBA 2K – that's designed to win in the modern NBA and then do the exact opposite, <laughs> which is perfect for Cade Cunningham. I mean, <laughs> that, come on. That's no. true. Yeah. That, that 14% chance of Cade Cunningham. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thanks guys. This has been really good. I think it's just nice to kind of get a sense of, you know, what's been up with the Pelicans this year. And then also, uh, you know, where they might go from here, because it's becoming increasingly clear that they're going to be one of the key players at the trade deadline based on all of these rumors. So Mason Schmidt, thank you for joining us today and, and giving us your insight. Uh, one more time for our listeners. Could you let them know uh, where they can find you on Twitter and your podcast? Yep. So I'm at fear the Brown and you know, our podcast is in the know. You could find it anywhere you listen to podcasts and Mason, I'll let you do your thing. Yep. Uh, so um, just find me with my name, Mason Ginsburg, and our, our podcast is In the No Pod on Twitter. And also, I mean, right back at y'all, since we're uh, co-publishing this one, uh, you, you guys mind introduce, or, or uh, giving your uh, contact info for everyone out there? For sure. Yeah, uh, I'm at B-Toporek, T-O-P-O-R-E-K, um, and you can find this, the NBA podcast, wherever podcasts are found. And I'm at MSJNBA. Very good. Well, thanks again, guys. Uh, reminder, you can follow our pod on Twitter at the NBA pod. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. We're being hosted by Spreaker. So check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. And thanks again to Manscaped. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code NBA pod as 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code NBA pod. Until next time, I'm Brian Taporic and I was joined today. Bye, Morton Jason. Morton Jensen. Wow. 400 episodes in and my name is still something that's difficult for you. I I feel very special. (laughs) Uh, Schmidt Dua and Mason Ginsburg. Guys, have a good weekend and we'll we'll chat soon once uh, Lonzo gets traded for a bag of peanuts. Yeah, well, you know, when you add Laurie and a pick, I'm going to be laughing. (laughs) (laughs) When you guys get Al Horford, I'm going to be laughing. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. 
It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. What's up, everybody? I'm Bladen. I'm Matt. And I'm Theo. And we are Stay Hot, the only podcast that gives you the hottest analysis and takes on the NFL and NBA all year round. I know that there's a lot of losers and haters out there who don't think three sports TikTokers can hang for a full pod, but, you know, we're going to prove them all wrong. We're about to dive deep into the NFL draft and are already hitting the NBA playoffs. So watch Stay Hot on YouTube or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.